Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Let's cool it up a little bit. Welcome. It is Don't At Me. It is a Thursday, and I am your fearless leader, Daniel J. Dockich. I want to say welcome to everybody that is currently watching us on the YouTube channel. Maybe you're on Outkick. We're going to have a monster day. Let's lead it off with this. Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel wants to leave the 49ers. Now, Debo Samuel might be, he might be, the best guy available all year, and I'm including Tom Brady even coming back. Debo Samuel is the guy that can turn a team like my Colts into a Super Bowl contender. Like, here's the deal. When you watch the NFL, what are you looking at? You're looking at playmakers, playmakers at quarterback, playmakers at wide receiver, playmakers at cornerback, playmakers at left tackle. Playmaker, playmaker, playmaker. I'm sitting here in Indy and everybody every year, every year the guys tell me in the media, oh man, the Colts, well, they got a Super Bowl team. Yeah, they do. Super Bowl team, Super Bowl roster. And I take my glasses off. I fold them up and I say, you guys are idiots because they don't. Why? They don't have playmakers. Not saying they can't win more than they lose. Nine and and eight is great in Indianapolis, particularly to our local media who fawn all over every move uh, of Chris Ballard, our general manager. I'll tell you right now in Indianapolis, our draft is already great. No, it's not kind of great. It's already great. I can't believe whoever it was fell to us. That's automatic. But Debo Samuel makes the Colts and other teams Super Bowl contenders. Let's not even mess around if you're Indianapolis. I know this show caters to national, but I got to talk local here for a minute. Quinn and Nelson is a left guard. Quinn and Nelson is a good left guard. Who gives a rats about a left guard? You're going to have to pay, and Chris Ballard told me this on my own show, you're going to have to pay. You're going to have to pay left tackle money for a left guard if you want to keep Quentin Nelson. Now, I, now, maybe that's a few years down the road. And if it is, hey, cool. But the truth of the matter is, why pay a left guard when you can, ladies and gentlemen, oh, I don't know, pay a guy that, let's go through Debo Sam, 77 pass catches, 1,405 yards, 18 yards a catch. Now, I don't know about you, but that ain't bad. I don't know about you but or your team, but there are very few teams that have that. Now, I'll also throw this in because this is important as well. uh, Excuse me, 59 rushes. For 365 yards, that's only an average of 6.2 yards. Look, I get it. Well, it's going to cost a lot. I don't care. I'm giving Quentin Nelson. That's one. And because the Colts don't have a first-round pick, maybe I'll give him my 2023 first-round pick, and I'm not going to lie to you. 
I'm going to give them freaking Darius Leonard too. Shoot, give him the maniac. What do I care? I don't care if they give him the maniac. I want him to give the maniac. Maniac talks. Maniac just talks and talks and talks and talks and talks. I don't need talk. You know what I need? I need some playing. Hey, Darius Leonard, he's all pro. He punches the ball out. Yay, Rod, go fight win. The modern NFL needs Debo Samuels on your team. Samuel. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make that trade. I'm going to ask to make that trade. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, there's always two sides to a trade. It isn't always one-sided. There's two sides to a trade. So let's go make that trade. And your team should do it too. If your team isn't the Los Angeles Rams, then your team needs to make this trade for Debo Samuel. Period. Why are you even messing around? Why are you even thinking about it? The idea of winning is the only idea in the NFL. That's it. And if Debo Samuel can help you win, then you quit screwing around and you go get him. Hey, fellas, uh, Ryan and Dylan, can somebody send me the link to the pin here? I, I, whatever the reason is, I can't get it, and I'm trying to find it, and I can't get it. I'd like the pin to show up on this. So send me the link in an email, uh, and let's get it going here. Uh, that's it. So at the end of the day, Debo, Debo, Debo. I don't care about a left guard. I don't care about the maniac. Good for the maniac. I don't even care about horseshoe guy. Horseshoe guy, my backside. You're going to hear the same rant on my local radio show, but I don't care. I'm appealing. I know Chris Ballard and the local yokels over at the uh, complex listen to every word I say. That's how strong I want Debo Samuel. I'm hijacking my own show. (laughs) Hey, I can go play left guard. Get some fat guy and go play left guard. We do it. You're gonna have to pay that guy so much money. Let's go pay somebody that makes a difference. You haven't even been in the playoffs with Quentin Nelson. What are we doing? Come on. All right, let me give you the odds. Uh, they sent me the odds today on, on uh, uh, Debo Samuels, his next team. Now I do agree with this. Odds on Debo Samuels going back to the 49ers are the biggest. Uh, minus 205. Now, I, that makes sense to me because I tell you this all the time. Just because a guy wants traded doesn't mean everyone's got to jump up and down, stand on the head, crap snowballs, and trade the guy. You have to do that. You have to do that at all. Hey, wait, what now? Uh, you want to trade? Oh, okay. We'll, we'll get back to you. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, and we like it. Oh, you're good. Uh, next is the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Then the Eagles, then the Bears, then the Fort, uh, then the uh, Patriots, then the Ravens. I don't even see the Colts on here. Colts are plus 3,000. Look, am I saying the Colts are going to do it? No, but the word on the street, and when I get word from the street, it's always accurate word. The word on the street is the Colts have reached out, so you might want to take a little action there at plus 3,000. And don't at me, people. That's right. Don't at me about it. Because I'm telling you, if the Colts reached out, that means they're serious. And the only thing they have to give is the two guys that I said. Minus 205. Man. If I'm the 49ers, if I'm, uh, what's his face, Lynch, John Lynch, I ain't doing it. Hey, I'll give you a contract. I'll give you a fair contract, but I'm not doing that. But anyway... 
I'm wearing blue. I should have worn my Colts gear today. Here's why, ladies and gentlemen, here's why every single person that has any sense at all in a market wants Debo Samuel because it's more fun when your team wins. Well, you know, Dad, you don't understand football. No, you're right, I don't. If drafting a left guard sixth, fine, if you win a Super Bowl, but the Colts haven't even been in the playoffs the last couple years. So, end of the day, I don't care about a left guard. Neither should you. But in Indianapolis, we have a rudimentary uh, understanding of football. We like us some left guard. That's, I got one word for that. Hey, big news in college basketball. And you know, uh, college basketball is headed down a path. And hey, look, it is what it is. I'm not going to argue against it. I'm not going to argue for it. It just is what it is. It is, it is headed down a path of AAU basketball. And coaches know it. Roy Williams knew it last year. Krzyzewski knows it. And of course, now Jay Wright knows it. Jay Wright uh, has left college basketball. He's retiring at 60 years old. And I got to tell you, as a guy who's 60 years old, oh, we're just getting started, baby. We got the brains of a college kid with the means of an adult. Dude's won two national championships, 2016, 2018. He literally developed the best culture in college basketball, meaning players play for the guy that came ahead of him, and they believe that. I told my son, and I've said this on the show, look, Study the recruiting of Calipari and the culture of Villanova. Actually, the play of Villanova ain't bad either. They catch it, they hold it, they go good, better, best. I got a good shot now, you got a better shot now, you got the best shot. And they buy into it, they believe it, they go ahead and they win, and they win massive. This is a big blow for college basketball. Probably a good blow for college basketball TV because I would imagine Jay Wright's going to be pretty good on television, although I can't imagine he's going to be overly critical of folks. But the truth of the matter is, when you get coaching right now, who wants to deal at 60 years old with figuring out how to get an 18-year-old a BMW or figuring out how to get an 18 to 22-year-old more money? Screw that. I understand the people that run college basketball have given in, and that's fine. Only Nickelodeon gives in to freaking 18 to 22-year-olds. Maybe the rap industry, hell, maybe Disney, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, this is a multi-billion dollar business that cares on the whims of 18 to 22-year-olds. Hey, what does the 18 to 22-year-old think? Well, they need more money. Okay, we'll get right on that. Stupid. College basketball has it backwards, and I'll say it until I die. I don't necessarily care anymore, but it has it absolutely backwards. College basketball needs to protect the game, needs to protect the institutions. It doesn't need to protect the coaches. It needs to protect the game, the institution, the sport. But what's it worry about? Some freaking 18 to 22-year-old that's going to transfer to three different schools in four years and say, screw a degree, and it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. And I applaud my friend Dick Vitale for every day standing up. Every day, Dickie V on Twitter, at Dickie V, by the way, goes on a rant about 1,400 or however many folks are in the transfer portal, and I love it. And then every little slap, well, coaches can leave, yeah, tough. Business. Well, if coaches can leave, players can leave. Yeah, no. So what? We catered 18 to 23 year olds. Hell, I didn't even cater to my own kids when they were 18 to 23. You cater to me. We're worried about, hey, 
I just had a meeting with Joey Bag of Donuts. His mommy and daddy, they want a car in the AAU coach. We got to go call the BMW dealer. Any self-respecting uh, over 45-year-old man wouldn't do it. I get it. Guys in their 20s and 30s think it's cool. But as you get older, think about the misery of being a college coach. Uh, I'm sorry. I got my legal pad here. I got to go home and call 15 different freaking entitled little kids. And that's what 18 to 22-year-olds are, little kids. I got to go call 18 to 22-year-old little kids and figure out a way because I am supposed to connect with them. Think about that logically. Think about that logically. I have to go home as a 60-year-old man and have a sheet of paper with every, this guy, this guy, this guy. And then, to make it even worse, I, as a recruiter, have got to get online and watch and then contact and then talk to and then give to a bunch of entitled guys who have quit other schools. Think about that. Think about that. Think about how awful that would be. That would be the worst. I'm just saying, that would be the worst. There would be nothing worse than that. Uh, hey, man, is this guy any good? You know, I know he was getting 20 a game over at Liberty, and, you know, he had a really good situation, and they spent a lot of money on him, and, uh, you know, he wants to quit. And that, No, how horrible. And then you got to look the clown in the eyes and go, hey, you know, I understand why you quit. It's terrible. It is God-awful. And the truth of the matter is, no self-respecting guy wants to do it. You like the wins. You like the money. But no self-respecting human being. Like, I listen to all these college coaches talk about the influence they have on people. Let me tell you something. Me being in the media and doing campaigns for kids' bikes, me doing anti-tobacco campaigns, me uh, and my wife doing a variety of things, including pay for people's weddings and all kinds of stuff that we don't publicize, have allowed me to influence far more than anything I was able to do as a college coach. And that's a fact, Jack. That's a 100% fact. Far more than I was able to do as a college coach. So I hope Jay Wright decides to take as much time off as he needs, maybe a lifetime, have a great time out at the Hamptons and at the beach. He loves going to the beach. And does his thing, man. And if he comes back to TV, God bless him. Shoot, I'd love to do a game with him because the only people that I pay attention to in college basketball, frankly, are coaches. Guys that have coached. Players don't know. Every time I have a player, like last night I was watching this guy, Brandon Hayward. He is idiotic. Like, he told you nothing. But I get it. I understand. Uh, but I'm telling you, no self-respecting human being over the age of 45 wants to be a college basketball coach unless you got absolutely nothing else to do. And lastly on that, I'm telling you, College basketball is headed by way of AAU basketball, and not in a good way. AAU basketball gets a bad rap. Hell, I coach AAU basketball, and I guarantee you the guys that played for me were better coached than anybody they played for in high school or college. But the problem with AAU basketball isn't the players, the coaches, it's the daddies. 
the mommies and daddies that sit there screaming, yell, take him, take him, when a guy's got the ball. It's starting to creep into college basketball. What are we seeing in college basketball this year? We saw Jawan Howard start punching a coach. We saw guys acting like complete idiots. That's AAU basketball. It is starting to slide into AAU basketball. And again, no self-respecting human being. I was over 45 when I coached AAU basketball, but you couldn't get me into a gym right now to listen to idiot moms and dads be idiots. And I'm including high school basketball with that. It's the same thing in college. Watch the idiot parents. You know, idiot parents being idiots is glorious. And who wants to deal with that? I used to have a rule that if I hear your mom or dad or your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin, you're coming out of the game and you got two options. One, you can tell them to shut the hell up, or two, you can go to the locker room. I want to hear from idiot parents. Take him! He can't guard you! Idiots. That's what college basketball is becoming, and I absolutely love that Jay Wright is getting out on his terms. And here's the other thing. Jay Wright don't need no love me tour. The Mike Krzyzewski love me tour, where you get mad if North Carolina doesn't honor you. What? They didn't honor me. Yeah, really? Uh, You don't coach at our school. They didn't honor me. I'm not going to shake anybody's hand, Nolan Smith and Chris Carowell. (laughs) Dumbasses, I'm telling you. It's all AAU basketball. We're not shaking hands because you didn't honor our coach. Well, your coach don't coach here. That's why I love the NBA. Game's over. I don't love the NBA during the regular season. The NBA is unwatchable during the regular season, but I'm telling you right now, the NBA playoffs, to borrow a term from the 80s, is fantastic. Let's go through last night. Nets and the Celtics. The Nets, I've never seen. I've never seen two superstars be softer in my life. Last night was a perfect example Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving could not play in the era of Magic and Larry and Michael and Isaiah and Dumars and Cooper and Worthy and Kareem. They couldn't play in any of that. There's a word that you use to describe. There's a couple words, actually, and they're derogatory terms that you use to describe how soft Durant and Kyrie Irving were yesterday. Durant was getting bumped. He didn't like it. Isaiah went to the rim and got his head blown up. Ah, these guys, I've said it forever. I love Steph Curry, but one of those little dribble 72 times go to the rim back in the 80s, he would have gotten knocked on his backside, and every play from that point on would have been a business decision. Durant was getting bumped. I thought they did a great job on TV last night showing how the Celtics were bumping him. And that was choreographed. That was pretty good, really good, actually. The coach of the Celtics did a hell of a job. And, I mean, Steve Nash didn't know his backside from third base. He's like, guys, is this third base or is this my backside? I don't know. They both got dimples. I'm telling you. Kyrie Irving wilted. Don't even bring up to me Kyrie Irving being even close to Isaiah Thomas. Don't. Don't. And don't even bring up to me Kevin Durant. You can't be softer than those two were. Durant went 0 for 10. Durant sits, Durant is the modern college basketball, or excuse me, professional basketball player. He thinks talking makes him tough. Here's Durant at a mic. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You know. <laughs> that ain't tough. 
That's just stupid. Durant thinks social media makes him tough. Well, last night he had a test of toughness, and he failed miserably, and it was funny. If you've ever wanted to see an example of how these guys, these guys right here could never play in any era other than their own era, this was it. Period. This was it. Durant went 0 for 10. He was scared. He was intimidated. He was, to quote a good friend of mine, soft. He's just soft. Oh. And Kyrie Irving can flip off anybody he wants. He can act like a badass, but when it came to you-know-what cutting time, Kyrie Irving was, say it with me, soft. Oh, my God. It was, well, uh, to quote Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men, funny. It was funny. It was funny. And I go back. Now, there is a stone idiot on television. His name is J.J. Reddick, okay? J.J. Reddick, Coach K gave me literally, and I'm being literal here. Coach K gave me uh, about an hour and a half to two hours one time when my son was at Duke, and he explained life with J.J. Reddick, all right? To the point where, J.J., wake up and brush your teeth. J.J., after you brush your teeth, floss your teeth. J.J., blah, 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 blah. And maybe Coach K was lying. I don't know. I have no idea. I just know that that's what he did. The whole day was planned out for little JJ. Now JJ's a voice, right? That's good. So JJ uh, comes on and he besmirches all of the former players. A guy like JJ Reddick could never have played when Bob Cousy and those guys played because there weren't rules where you could just stand there and be a jump shooter. But all right, so JJ Reddick makes fun of who Bob Cousy had to play against. And I'm trying to find it here. Chuck Swirsky went at him. So, J.J. Reddy, totally disrespectful. Bob Cousy competed against the talent in that area. He did change the sport in that particular frame of time. So, a few things for J.J. Yo, Cousy, an apology. Second, you do realize NBA players took off-season jobs to pay the bills. Because Reddick said, well, you know, Cousy was just doing it against plumbers uh, and teachers, stuff like that. Well, what he doesn't understand is those plumbers those iron workers, those steel workers that did stuff in the summer were far tougher than anybody J.J. Reddick ever played against. I mean, frickin' J.J. Reddick, who stood out and shot jump shots, acting like he's tough. Those guys couldn't play in any era in the 80s. I'm proud to have played in the era in the 80s where I got my teeth knocked out trying to set a screen. I had to go... Uh, I had a good hip replacement years after getting knocked on my backside. I'm proud to have. I watch these guys shoot their little jump shots. Hey, you, you're mad about it too, aren't you? All right, we got a problem. Hey, go, go, go. I think there's a squirrel outside. Go. Dog don't listen to me. Uh, Joel Embiid, baby. Joel Embiid, but the kudos to Doc Rivers. I give Doc Rivers a hard time. I think he's done less with more. But Doc Rivers, with a couple seconds to go and the ball not being able to even be in, but couldn't get it anywhere at half court, calls timeout. Next thing you know, Joel Embiid comes off, whap, whap, game over. Woo! Man. What a crowd in Toronto last night. What an unbelievable crowd. And oh, by the way, let me go back to the Nets. They were up 17, crapped the bed because the crowd was loud. So soft. Oh, by the way, here comes the Calvary, as they said on Greenberg's show, Ben Simmons. 
To quote a friend of mine also, child, please. Anyway, the shocker of the night last night was the Bills and the Bulls and the Bucks. Now, the Bulls and the Bucks, that was interesting, 114, 110. The better team's the Bucks. Bucks probably win the series. However, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Middleton is out. He has an MCL spray, which is going to be two to four weeks. These games come quick. You got another one Saturday. I think you got another one Friday and then another one Sunday. These games come quick. The Greek freak, unbelievable. He had 33, 18, and 9, but that wasn't enough. DeMar DeRozan just kept making shots. And DeMar DeRozan just spit right in the face of the analytics boys. He did. And you talk about shutting up a crowd, then there is nothing better in nothing in coaching or playing than the sound of silence in an away arena. When Embiid hit that shot, silence. When the final buzzer went off in Milwaukee, silence. It is the greatest sound in coaching. It's the greatest sound in playing. The sound of silence on the road when you have done something like what Embiid did in Toronto and what the Bulls did in Milwaukee. Man, is that fun. I'm looking at Kevin Durant. He went to the line. He got fouled. So you know everybody's going to make excuses for him, right? Everybody's going to make excuses for Kevin Durant. He was soft. I've said forever, man, dudes couldn't play in an era other than this one. Every time, every time, I'm telling you, every stinking time you go to the rim, it is a business decision. It is a business decision. Uh, And you want to get your head blown up? Do you? All right. We'll see. You want to make a business decision? Go to the rim. Go to the rim with Ricky Mahorn there. Go to the rim with Ricky Mahorn and Bill Lane Beer there, like Isaiah did, like Magic did, like Bird did, like Dumars did. And then let me hear about you. Then let me see. See, the modern NBA player, man, they think social media makes them tough. The modern NBA player, and particularly Kevin Durant, thinks that, uh, actually, I don't even think Irving cares about being tough. Durant tries to act tough through his interviews. So funny to watch. I've said this for years. It's just now coming out. And, and uh, as I watched it, I just started laughing. I did. Because I hear all these players, J.J. Redick, please. J.J. Redick, shoot, shoot some jumpers, J.J., and then talk about who people are playing against. Oh, man, if the world just listened to me. Anyway, I wish the NBA would go back just for one season. Just for one season. That's all, one season. All right, we're going to go back to the rules that there used to be. All you guys making $30 million. All you guys making $30 million. We're going to go back to the rules. Let's see if you can earn that $30 million. I, I'll give Durant credit. Durant went to the free throw line. Good for him. Kyrie Irving. <laughs> oh, man, I loved it. I absolutely, I, I loved it because I loved the way the Celtics played yesterday. The coach of the Celtics, Steve Nash had no idea. Steve Nash and his crew, and by the way, the coach of the Celtics, um, he was on the staff 
of New Jersey or Brooklyn or whatever the hell you call it. Um, And guess what? (laughs) Guess what? He knew. He knew how to bother Durant. Now, can they do it every night? Don't think so. I would assume that, you know, at some point, some, some nights when you put a game plan together, it just works. It just does. And some nights, that same game plan, it just doesn't. Guys aren't in the right spot. Like, if you watch what uh, the broadcast, what they showed, every Celtic guy was right in the right spot to hit Durant as he was coming off a variety of screens. It was pretty good. It was really good. And, uh, man, Steve Nash, Durant, Irving. You ain't Isaiah. Isaiah used to go to the rim and get that you knocked out of him. Anyway. All right. Three ones. No, I was going to give you my phone number. Uh, Jason Hammer is going to join us, my man. He'll give you some bets, probably. Now, uh, he's also going to explain to you the world that we live in. Jason Allen Hammer. It's Hammer time, ladies and gentlemen. We will be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Oh, baby, I just love talking to this man. <laughs> I'm going to finish off one thing, though. I'm going to finish off one thing. It was told to me that J.J. Redick moved more off the ball than anybody. Yeah, he's a jump shooter. Durant and Irving last night made a business decision. And that business decision was to fold up shop. I'm telling you, when Isaiah went to the rim, Jason Hammer, he got his brains beat out. When you went to the rim against Lane Beer and Mahorn or the, or, or the Davis brothers, you got the hell beat out of you. Last night, they got physical with Durant, and he wilted like me spraying Roundup on a weed, baby. That's right. 90s NBA That's right. just hit different. 90s NBA, you had final scores like 84 to 80, and people were losing teeth. I remember being at an Indiana Pacers game, and Vern Fleming, who was still on the Pacers at the time, drove into the lane, got knocked to the floor, and started picking up chiclets afterwards. (laughs) That's right. Men were men, damn it. That's right. (laughs) Don't at me either, because we were men. (laughs) Hey, big dog. So all of a sudden, a lovely, talented, uber smart, although certainly criticized, judge decides, hey, look, man, Catherine Kimball Mizell decides, hey, these masks are idiotic, right? But the DOJ, uh, with the power of the CDC behind them, decides we're going to appeal this decision. Where are we with masks? Do I have to wear a mask in an airport? No. You don't, unless that airport acts as a private business and says, you have to wear a mask. Now, keep in mind, at no point in this ruling from Florida, this judge in Florida, did she say masks are banned. That's not the case at all. Anybody that tells you masks are banned has no idea what they're talking about. 
You can still wear a mask on a plane if you want. You can wear two masks. If you want to put a mask over your anus, you can do all of that. Nobody is stopping you from wearing a mask. What this ruling was in Florida was simply based off of a lawsuit. Has nothing to do with do masks work or anything like that. It was whether or not they become a mandate. That's what this was about. It was about a mandate from uh, the CDC and the government. Not about the efficacy of masks. If you still want to wear a shield and a mask and a pillow on your head, be my guest. Uh, but that's what this is all about. And listen, for as much crap as Donald Trump gets, you got to tip your hat to the man. This judge was appointed by Donald Trump during his lame duck session as the president of the United States toward the very end. He could have easily said, you know what, screw it and burn down Rome while I'm at it because he kind of did that to the state of Georgia. That's how you end up with Raphael Warnock as a senator. But he didn't do that in this case. He got a judge that he wanted in a spot that was open in Florida, and this is what happens. Hey, um, if this judge were not a Donald Trump appointee, would she have been criticized as much as she's been criticized? Probably, but because it's a Trump judge, it just makes it easier. Nothing else matters as long as you are in some way affiliated with the big bad orange man. Nothing else matters. Had this been a judge that had been on there for a long time, had this been a judge that was appointed by uh, one of the Bushes or something, they'd still get some crap. They'd get some heat. You'd have people saying, oh, this judge is past their prime. They're way too old. They don't know what they're doing. But anytime you're affiliated in any way with Donald Trump, it just Boom, makes it easier. And think about this for one second. Okay, so while this is going on, and yes, the DOJ and the CDC, they're playing grab ass here, trying to talk about the appeals process. While the appeals process happens, you still get to have the choice of wear a mask or not. So while the appeals process happens, even if it does go to court, during the litigation hearings, you don't have to wear a mask if you don't want to. Now, if you're somebody that is running for a midterm election and you're a Democrat, is this helping you at all? If you're somebody like, as mentioned, Raphael Warnock in Georgia, Democrat, kind of a radical dude, trying to keep his seat, you see what your party is doing to you. They're making it so they demand that you wear a mask when you travel. That's just on top of everything else. You're already seeing a lot of these Democrats, whether it's both senators in Arizona, Kelly and Cinema, whether it's Warnock in Georgia, whether it's Manchin, um, who, again, Democrats don't like anyway, but tons of House members starting to break with the Biden administration. This past week, we saw 10 Democrats come out in favor of Title 42. They don't want Joe Biden to reverse Title 42 to let this big flow of people across the border. They don't want it. It's not helping them in the midterms. And as of right now, midterms are shaping up to be a bloodbath because what are the Democrats running on? We're running on a bad economy. You're running on a bad border. You're running on high inflation, high gas prices, uh, grocery store costs. And you're blaming Putin for all of this. People aren't buying it. And now throw on top of that the cherry on top of the sundae. We are wanting you to wear a mask against your will on a plane or a train or any sort of public transportation output. This is not going to work, Coach. I, but I'll say this. Uh, when I grew up, 
there was something called the machine in Chicago and the old mayor Daly. He used to win every election and it didn't matter. Is there a Democratic voting machine? Because a lot of people went to bed during this election thinking, including a lot of Democrats, including some of the most racist Democrats, blaming the white guy for Donald Trump winning again. I say this, if you are in midterms and you are a Republican or you are some type conservative or you are just simply, I don't know, against the person of your own party, you better stay awake election night because something could happen like it happened in the election, the presidential you never election. Know when those That's my theory. Full of ballots, those pallets full of ballots at 3 a.m., they can pop in from anywhere. But I Ooh. think what we learned as a nation uh, in this last election is that if you vote for somebody just because they look nice or you don't like the other person, don't complain when the blank hits the fan, right? Look what's happening in our country right now. This is what happens when you get a president when you order it by the mail. You get high inflation. You get ridiculous policies. You get record amounts of fentanyl coming across the border, which, by the way, is the most underreported story in this country, the amount of fentanyl that's coming in. Already this year, um, it's up 138-something percent uh, from previous years. So it's an insane amount. It's killing tons of teenagers because they're mixing it with other drugs. It's the most underreported story in America. But the president looked nice. He looks like a nice old man. I'd like to have a beer with that guy. If you're the kind of person that votes on the president because you feel like he looks like a nice guy or you want to go have a beer with him, do everybody else a favor and walk your fat ass into oncoming traffic. <laughs> um, I've said, man, and I think you agree. I, look, I don't need any, none, zero type of moral value from my president. Like, don't be amoral and go, you know, I don't know, invade a country. But I don't need a president's morality. I've never needed it. Uh, I don't want to hear about it. I don't care about it. I never cared about it. I've never understood people that do care about it. But the truth of the matter is we just make stuff up. Uh, Biden, hey, look, he is who he is. He's lost. I, I don't know. I don't know how you could. The only way you could possibly support Joe Biden is if you just have blind faith in your party. And that's just it. I'm a Democrat. I'm not changing my mind. I do not care. That's the only way you can support what our nation has become, because frankly, Hammond Time, we've gone backwards. I'm a little older than you. I remember gas lines. I remember energy crisis. I remember record inflation. I remember war. I remember all this kind of stuff, 1978, 1979, right in the middle of Jimmy Carter's regime. He was the worst president of my lifetime, and this guy's worse. Period. And we've gotten so tribal. Man. We've gotten so tribal as a nation that we don't even hold our own side accountable anymore. Like, I'm not letting the Republicans off the hook here. They Republicans had no. everything when Donald Trump took office, and they didn't do a damn thing with it because nobody wanted to be a leader. Some of the old-school conservatives had a problem with the way Donald Trump was doing his things because, let's be honest, Donald Trump isn't really a conservative. He was a Republican, but he wasn't a conservative. But that rubbed people the wrong way. The tribalism in this country, the voting straight ticket every single time you go to the ballot box is how you end up with some of these losers in positions of power. What's going to happen with Twitter now? Elon Musk, he, he tried to buy it. 
Uh, Twitter chose, like, we don't want Musk over making profits. Okay, fine, you do that. Musk says he has another plan. What's happening here? What's going on with Musk and Twitter? So the next 10 days are going to be really interesting. Because if anybody caught it the other night, Elon Musk on Twitter just wrote, love me tender. Now, Elon Musk is kind of a weird dude. I mean, he's a fascinating guy, but he's an odd duck. So you never know what he means when he tweets something. But now I think we're starting to figure out his game plan is that he's going to find some other investors. He's working right now with Morgan Stanley to secure a lot of financing. And they're basically going to work around the board. They're going to tender these offers to a lot of the other investors at Twitter who are not maybe necessarily high up on the food chain. There's a lot of people that have stock in that company. Not everybody is a high roller. So it sounds like the game plan is for Elon Musk to reach out a few investors, work with Morgan Stanley, and possibly uh, take out a loan against Tesla to be able to secure the financing and tender offers to the people who want to make money. So basically, he's going to give these folks the option. Do you want to stay woke and lose money and not accept this offer? Or are you going to accept my offer and make a lot more money than you had when you did not accept this deal yesterday? We're going to find out who's all about that money, and we're going to find out who's all about virtue signaling in the next 10 days. Oh, it's going to be 10 days. That's when this, this will uh, hit the proverbial fan? That's what we're hearing. A lot of the chatter is that in the next 10 days, we're going to have a better feel of how many Twitter shareholders are willing to play ball and how many are going to stick together to fight free speech and not allow Elon Musk to try to take control of the company. Now, again, think about what this is all about. The big picture here is that here's a guy that is risking one of his major companies, Tesla, for free speech. And he claims he doesn't want to make a lot of money off of this. I don't necessarily buy that. You know as well as I do, Coach, when an athlete or an actor says it's not about the money, guess what it's about? It's about the money. So I'm curious to see how the business plan plays out. But in the next 10 days or so, we're going to find out who's willing to play ball, who's going to put their money where their mouth is. And this is a guy in Elon Musk who doesn't want to change things radically. He just wants it to be a fair and even playing field. If you want to tweet your hatred for Donald Trump, knock yourself out. But you should allow the other side to tweet their hatred for Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or Hunter Biden without fear of it being suppressed. And nothing is rubbing these people the wrong way at Twitter than the fear of having that algorithm exposed. And that's the biggest thing that Elon Musk wants. And the fact that these blue check marks on Twitter are just absolutely losing their mind right now tells me how crooked and corrupt this thing really is. What, what do you make of uh, Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, going at CNN a little bit? What, what do you make of, like, you know, Bill Maher, we've seen this. But Jack Dorsey really is, is the guy that has never done that. And all of a sudden, Jack Dorsey comes out, and he's not exactly, you know, tap dancing with, with CNN, who's basically his television mouthpiece. Jack Dorsey doesn't have to be that guy anymore because he's not affiliated with Twitter really in any way. Technically, he's a board member, but he's lame duck and he has zero shares. And that expires in May of this year. So Jack Dorsey is basically your jilted ex-lover. 
he is ready to burn the house down at Twitter because he feels like he was done dirty. This was his baby. This was his creation, basically. And this was his vision. And when you look at what they did to him, the woke folks got together and basically had a mutiny and decided we want to push Jack Dorsey out the door. And if you follow his tweets from the last couple of weeks, he's not very complimentary to the board of Twitter. He's mentioned over and over again that that's been the biggest problem at that company and a lot of other companies is the people that sit on the board. Now, don't get it twisted. Jack Dorsey is no friend to the Republican Party. He's no friend to the conservatives. Um, you know, he absolutely knew what was going on with the Hunter Biden suppression of that story from the New York Post. Uh, I don't feel like he was incredibly truthful in that hearing that he had with these senators on Capitol Hill. But right now, he feels like he's been done dirty. And you know what they say about a payback? It is a B-I-T-C-H. And here's Jack Dorsey ready to give those folks a Twitter board a little dose of their own medicine by kind of siding with the guy they hate more than anybody else. And that would be Elon Musk. Hey, let, let me let me throw something out at you. I saw the other day where Joe Biden came out and said you shouldn't make any money while in office. Ten uh, percent to the big guy was the first thing that I thought. You know, you know what I mean? What what, what is right. this about? Is this just cover? Is this you know this just cover, right? Coach, your first mistake is you're trying to make sense of anything that Joe Biden's had to say. That's your first mistake. You're going to twist yourself in a pretzel trying to figure out what Grandpa Gibberish is talking about <laughs> on a daily basis. I mean, look, look at Bernie Sanders. This dude has got multiple mansions, and he's a socialist. Damn, socialism doesn't work that well, I promise you. Yet my man's got mansion after mansion. Um, all these people get rich. The Republicans, the Democrats, it's so gross. It's so dirty. Uh, for Joe Biden to come out and say that, this is a guy that hasn't had a real job in over 50 years. He's been sucking the taxpayer teeth for over 50 years, whether it's as a senator, whether it's you know vice president, uh, the speaking tour, and now he's the president of the United States. This is also the same guy that didn't know the difference between his wife and his sister and got scared by the Easter Bunny. So forgive me if I'm not ready to jump on board with anything that this clown has to say at this point. <laughs> Hey, uh, the governor of Texas, though, you mentioned 42. You mentioned people coming across the border, uh, fentanyl coming across the border, which is a seriously dangerous thing. And if you all don't understand it, uh, you better, particularly if you have kids, as, uh, as Hammer just said. But the governor said, hey, man, look, you guys are out. You're going to D.C. He started loading up the bus and taking illegal uh, immigrants or uh, whatever. Boom, you go to D.C., my man. Interesting move. Six busloads have now made their way to the steps of our nation's capital, six. Now, when Governor Abbott was talking about this originally, I thought, all right, that's a pretty good troll move. It's great political theater. It's going to get you some clicks, and it's going to you know, fire up the base as he gets ready for a re-election run against Beto. I didn't think there was any way he had the hair on his backside to actually do it. And six busloads later, my man pulled it off. And the way that he's doing it just fury infuriates the left. Like, you can watch Jen Psaki talk about this in her White House press briefings. Like, her hair's already red, but then her face starts to match it because she gets mad and she's angry because it's so brilliant the way that the governor of Texas is doing this. He's not forcing them on the bus. This is not some sort of hostile takeover. 
right? We've heard that word a lot the last couple of weeks. He's simply telling them, hey, welcome to the United States. We're going to get you something to eat. We're going to get you a drink. As a matter of fact, why don't you hop on this bus and we'll go thank the lawmakers yourselves. You're going to find that the weather in Washington, D.C. is a lot better than the hot, awful summers here in Texas. Why don't you go to Washington, D.C.? And now we're hearing that the next couple busloads could be on their way to Delaware, the home state of one wheeling, dealing, hair sniffing, kiss stealing Joe Biden. So, again, if you're somebody that applauds a good troll move, this requires a golf clap for Governor Abbott. I think this might require a standing ovation. I think golf claps a little <laughs> bit soft on this one. <laughs> well, run that through me again. Wheeling, dealing, what is it? Hair sniffing, kiss stealing Joe Biden. Because he's a man that likes to sniff some hair. Yeah. He's like the man that likes to steal yeah. some kisses. He's like the soft, old, geriatric, matlock version of Ric Flair. <laughs> I did see the Easter Bunny made him jump a little bit. I, I, you know, look. Easter I'm Bunny didn't make him jump. Mascots. I will... Easter Bunny was his damn boss. The Easter Bunny was running the oh, damn right. show. The Easter Bunny had to direct Joe <laughs> Biden where to go. So imagine if you're somebody that's like President G, or maybe you're Vladimir Putin. You're watching this and you're thinking, man, is the United States going to step in? Are they going to show their might? Are they going to show that they are the world leader? And then you see some lackey that's probably an intern at the White House bossing the president of the United States around, telling grandpa it's time to go this way to see the kids and the eggs. You're thinking to yourself, yeah, we made the right decision here. It's time to get squirrely. <laughs> man. Hey, Jen Psaki's leaving, right? She is. And I'm telling you, this is going to hurt the Biden White House. I'm not a huge fan of the things that come out of Jen Psaki's mouth, but take it for what it is. She's good at her job. Her job is to have to go out there every day and polish a turd. Now, it helps that she's got a friend press pool other than Peter Ducey. Peter Ducey is today's version of Jim Acosta the way Acosta was to Donald Trump. There's always going to be the other side that gives you crap. But when Donald Trump was president, it wasn't just Jim Acosta. You had that one loser reporter from Playboy. You had uh, Alexander from NBC. All these other folks who had monologues disguised as questions so they could get retweets and hits on social media. That normally doesn't happen with Jen Psaki. It's a pretty friendly press pool. You've got butt sniffers like Amici Alcindor in the room who basically just want to be best friends with the Biden administration. But she still has to go out there and talk about the failed policies. She has to talk about the bad economy, the problem at the border, every single thing that's gone wrong, which is pretty much everything in the Biden administration. She has to go out there and polish that thing. She's good at what she does. She's going to be good at MSNBC. And if you're CNN, you're thinking to yourself, we are still going to be in third place. There's nobody on CNN that's interesting. I don't agree with a lot of the folks on, say, MSNBC, but Rachel Maddow was interesting. She had an interesting show. You might not like her, but she brought in ratings, she brought in revenue, and she had interesting takes. I think Jen Psaki can do the same thing at MSNBC because they're going to lose Maddow for a little while. She's doing the sabbatical thing. Saki's going to be a fireballer. She's absolutely going to bring the heat. So if you're CNN and you're competing for this anti-Republican, anti-conservative crowd, what are you doing? You just blew a bunch of money on CNN Plus, and that's just an absolute dumpster fire. 
it's hard to believe that something went tragically wrong when you're having Brian Stelter and Rex Chapman give you extra programming. But what else are you going to do? I think Jen Psaki is going to be good at MSN. I, I do, too. I, 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 is CNN Plus a disaster? Total disaster. The Titanic wasn't the disaster that CNN Plus is. And maybe this is CNN's fault. These dirt bags have been in third place of the three major news networks for a long time. Don Lemon and Primetime is getting beat by shows on the National Geographic and Home and Garden Channel. Uh, you only had one person that was remotely interesting, and that was Chris Cuomo. And it was interesting because he was a hothead and kind of a dummy, but you got rid of that guy because he was in bed with his brother and he was harassing people and it's a big mess. There's nobody interesting at CNN. Is anybody saying at any point in the evening, I have to hear what Anderson Cooper has to say, or let me turn on Don Lemon and see what he has to say. No, they're not doing that. If you're somebody that's against uh, Republicans and against conservatives, you're going to MSNBC. You want to see Rachel Maddow, and pretty soon you're going to see Jen Psaki. CNN's got a lot of work to do, man, and that CNN Plus just hemorrhaged money. They've already fired the CFO in charge of CNN Plus. They've stopped their big advertising push for it. Warner Brothers is basically already admitting, yeah, this thing sucks. Um, it's a disaster in every single way. Hey, uh, I, two things. Anderson Cooper, I think you and I have talked about this. When he took a shot on New Year's Eve and went, Ew! that was it for me. I'm out. And then Did when you ever I see saw that, that, that university. Oh, God. Did you ever see that scene, Coach, the movie Revenge of the Go Nerds, where Poindexter, uh, the guy that's kind of got the vision problems, is sitting down and they're watching the pies. They've got a camera on the pies. And there's some magic happening in the pants of Poindexter, and he makes the exact same sound that Anderson Cooper makes after a shot of tequila. <laughs> the same sound. It might be the same guy. I was, hey, man. And then, hey, I saw that kid from the University of Chicago just kill Brian Stelzer, whatever the hell his name is. That's really, I'm not going to lie, that's the first time I ever really watched that was the name, Stelzer, Brian. I'm like, wait Brian a second. Stelter. You can call this him the potato. The guy? You can call him the thumb. Yes, either one. Oh my God! I'm watching this guy, and I'm like, you pay, you, you people pay attention to this guy. Like, <laughs> hey, get your political news from me before you get your political news from this clown. I could, I swear to God, I could not believe it. I, I, I honestly could not believe that that was a guy that was anchoring or had a show on a major news network. I, I, stun, I It stunned me. He had no presence. He had nothing, zero about him that made him interesting even a little bit, this guy. And that was just from one or two clips that I watched. Nothing. That same guy, that fat little cue ball of concern, that guy that looks like everybody's thumb, if you hold it out and put a little concerned face on it, he's the same guy that thought Michael Avenatti would be the president one day. This is the same guy that ran with Russian collusion for over two years. This is the same guy that ran with the Russian PP tape for a number of years at CNN. Yet he wants to be the voice of reason. That guy is just the absolute, like, listen, I'm not the best looking guy. You're not the best looking guy. But compared to Brian Stelter, we look like Brad Pitt and Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> 
Speak for yourself. I am the best looking guy. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Ah, <laughs> hey, I got one for you tonight. I got an automatic win for you tonight. You ready? I know you. Uh, I know you like to play. Here's an automatic tonight. It's six and a half. I'm moving it to six. I am taking the Jazz at home over the Doncic-less uh, Mavericks. I know the Mavericks won the game the other day, but I'm taking the six. I'm giving the six. Excuse me. And my toes are tapping tonight. I'm going DoorDash money tonight, taking the Utah Jazz. Like it's going to be a 20-point game. So there you go. Yeah. I like Don't be it. afraid. And in baseball, here's what I've learned in baseball, Coach. It's early. Bet against the Cincinnati Reds. Cincinnati Reds, man, they're not Ooh. very good. I made a good bet yesterday. Uh, the Padres money line, Padres first to five runs, won both of them, Coach. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We give you the best political talk, and then we throw in some fades, and next thing you know, you're smarter and you're richer. What more could you get out of a segment, Hammer? Jason, thank you, my friend. Thank you. Jason Allen Hammer on Twitter. You can hear him at 93.1 WIBC.com. You can hear him every day. Hammer and Nigel show is the best show in the history of the world. I mean, it's 3 to 7 right here in Indianapolis, and I'm telling you, Every time there's energy, it's funny, it's entertaining, it's interesting. They'll throw sports in at you. They'll do a lot of stuff. Kind of reminds me a little of myself. Uh, As we move forward, uh, I've got some laws. Like yesterday I talked about this. Like there's some laws in this country that you are not going to believe exist still. I'm going to pick out four or five of them, give them to you. You know, Jay Wright retired the head coach of Villanova, coming up at 10.30. Tom Crean is going to join us. Uh, Second time Coach Crean will be on the show. He's going to join us, and he's going to talk about the evolution of Jay Wright. When they were both young coaches back in the Big East, when Tom was at uh, Marquette and Jay was getting to Villanova, they had some epic battles. Uh, We'll talk about Tom Crean, the legacy of Jay Wright. Come back. We got some laws for you. I'll continue to give you fades. Don't be afraid. Take the jazz. Make it to six. We don't like that hook. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. It is Don't At Me. I am your host, Dan Dockage. It's hour number two. We had a raucous first hour, a lot to get to. I want Debo Samuels. I want him in Indianapolis. So I'm willing, John Lynch and the good folks over with the San Francisco 49ers, I'm willing to give you all pro left guard Quentin Nelson. I'm willing to give you all pro middle linebacker Darius Leonard. And I'm willing to give you, I think we got a first-round draft choice in 2023. That's what I'm willing to give you. I am. Look, 77 catches, 1,405 yards, 18.2 yards of grab, 59 rushes, 365 yards, 
per rush. Look, I understand there is some controversy whether or not he wants to maintain this role, but everything gets solved with money. And if, Indianapolis Colts, you are going to pay a left guard, think about this, you're going to pay a left guard? You're going to pay him left tackle money? Are you insane? What's wrong with you? Don't do that. Give it to Debo Samuel. Not messing around. Jay Wright retired. We're going to talk to Tom Crean coming up here. Uh, in about 25 minutes, we'll have Coach Crean on, and we will go through the life, leg, not the life, the legacy and the uh, difference when Tom Crean was at Marquette and he was coaching against, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Jay Wright. And now where Jay Wright is now is a Hall of Famer, and Jay with two national championships. And really, you could argue, the best culture in all of college basketball. I mean, it's really good what they've done. Kyle Neptune will take over 10 years as an assistant coach at Villanova. Kyle went to Fordham, and Fordham went from a two-win team to a 16-win team in his one year. So there you go. What are you going to do? I'm glad. Now, this is just smart. I'm glad that Villanova kept it in the family. I've been yelling about Indiana to keep it in the family for years. They did. I think Woodson's got it on the right track. I think this year's team was soft as hell, but I do think it takes a little bit of time to establish culture. So there you go. All right, we talked about this a bit yesterday. And there are some crazy laws in this country. Did you know that in the state of Washington, now this makes total sense to me. It really does. In the state of Washington, it is illegal to kill Bigfoot. Now this strikes home. Because my wife Lee's brother, the great Donnie Ross, number one, he looks like Bigfoot. He's a big old dude. Uh, Number two, he's tough like Bigfoot. He's an iron worker in Toledo and Detroit. And if you know anything about iron workers, you know iron workers are among the toughest dudes walking the planet. All right? So Donnie Ross is also a Bigfoot enthusiast, which means he ain't afraid to drive and track Bigfoot. Now, I don't think he's ever come across Bigfoot, although he might tell you after a few cocktails that he has. But, ladies and gentlemen, in Sagamania County, Washington, they passed a law in 69 deeming the slaying of Bigfoot to be a felony and punishable by five years in prison. I think it should be more. I think Sasquatch, a.k.a. Bigfoot, should be, well, an endangered species. Oh, by the way, they amended that law. See what I did there? They amended that law, and now Sasquatch, a.k.a. Bigfoot, is, ladies and gentlemen, an endangered species. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if you can just grab him, hold him, tie him up. But let me ask you a question. You run into Bigfoot. What are you doing? Like, I would legitimately like to know. You are flying around. You end up in Washington State. All of a sudden, Bigfoot appears. You got your tracking stuff. What are you doing? Like, are you tying them up? Are you bringing them home? I mean, I look, I don't know what the hell you're doing. I don't know. But whatever you're doing, uh, you better get it cleared before because, frankly, Bigfoot, it's illegal to mess around with Bigfoot. All right, let's go to another one. You ready? 
My man Dylan, Ryan, they live in Tennessee. I'm not surprised. If you told me in the state of Tennessee anything was in the law, I'd say, yeah, you're right. Dad, Tennessee, you can have sex with pigs. I'd say, I'm not surprised. If you told me in Tennessee, ah, you can marry your sister, I, I wouldn't be surprised. However, in the state of Tennessee, it is according to the Tennessee Constitution, not a newspaper, but the absolute Constitution. It's illegal to hold public office if a person does any of the following. So you cannot be a politician if you, A, fight a duel, or knowingly be the barrier, a bearer of a challenge to fight a duel, or send or accept a challenge for that person, or be an aider or a better of fighting a duel. Basically, you can't duel. You can't set up the duel. You can't promote the duel. You can't have anything to do with a duel. Now, from the article that we got this, it shows two guys fencing. They've got the fence stick here, the sword, whatever the hell they call it. One guy's in all white. He's got his helmet here. The other guy's across the way. I guess that is the description of a duel. Well, here's a problem with that. When I, my first, no, no, my first class day at Indiana University, my first day, I don't remember a whole lot of days, but I remember my first day of going to class at Indiana University, I don't know, end of August, 1st of September, whatever it was. Two things happened. Number one, Laura Naraki, a girl that everybody in my high school had a crush on, I saw her as I was walking to class, she was a year older than me, stopped me and asked me if I wanted to go with her and a bunch of friends to this guy named Johnny Cougar's house because he's playing music and there's a big party at his house. This is 1981-82. I had no idea who John Cougar was. I acted like I did because I had to be cool, but I didn't know who John Cougar was. There was no John Cougar Mellencamp. Mellencamp went back to his original name after he made it as Johnny Cougar. But I'll know this. Laura Naraki asked, I had to freaking act like I knew, but I had basketball workout in the afternoon, so I couldn't go, which I proudly told her. I go, oh, man, I got to go to, you know, Assembly Hall. We got basketball, hoping that would impress her. She was not impressed. She went to the kook, to his house. Anyway, second thing that happened to me on my first day of class, I had a karate class. I did. I took karate. You had to take an extracurricular as a freshman, some kind of PE class. And I thought, you know, uh, the way I act, the way I look, somebody's going to want to fight me. I better learn how, I better learn karate. So I go upstairs to the gym at the hyper for karate class. And I look over here and they're on guard. There are two people, according to this, they are dueling. Fencing was a class at Indiana University. I'm going to say that you can fence in Tennessee not fence like get stolen property and sell it. Not Gary, Indiana fencing. I'm talking about on guard fencing. Ta! That kind of fencing. But from this picture, I'll show you the picture right here. There's the picture. Doesn't it look like both of them are sitting there getting ready to fence? So if you can fence, uh, or if fencing is bad, I don't, I don't know. A lot of people probably can't hold public office. 
in the great state of Tennessee, or West Virginia. Same thing. All right. This one would get a lot of you in trouble. In Oklahoma, there is no eavesdropping. Noisy people might be wise to avoid Oklahoma. According to state law, ladies and gentlemen, every person guilty of secretly loitering about any building with the intent to overhear discourse therein and to repeat or publish the same to vex, annoy, or injure others is guilty of a misdemeanor. Don't be listening to conversations to vex me, people, when I'm in Oklahoma. That should be a federal law. Seriously. You know what people do now? You know, you go to a bar, people record conversations. They secretly tape you and or they record you. People that do that should be cast out of society. People that do that should be, I don't know, thrown in the lakes, rivers. Not killed, just thrown in. Like the whole crowd should get them and just throw them in a five feet of water. They're not going to drown, but just make life miserable for them. You don't want to vex anybody in Oklahoma by putting your ear. You know how that glass thing you used to put to the, to the wall and you're trying to hear stuff? That's illegal if you do it and even more illegal if you go tell people about what it is that I said. I like that law. I think that law should be in every, every county, every city, every state. I think it should be a federal law. Eavesdropping, out. Out. Shouldn't do it. Mind your own damn business. That's what the law should be called in Oklahoma. Mind your own damn business law. Uh, this one I don't understand. But listen to this. There's a law in Minnesota limiting nursing homes and senior centers to just two days of bingo per week. Even if you visited a nursing home resident, you were prohibited from playing bingo with them. Hmm. I've given this some thought. And I think one of the reasons you can't play bingo every day in Minnesota is, isn't that gambling? You ever been to bingo? You ever been to, and I'm being serious about this, you ever been like to the VFW bingo night? Like, I don't know how it still is, but I know a few nights we had nothing to do just out of college. We're like, hey, Bloomington, Indiana, they got bingo. So a few buddies of mine went and played bingo, right? Had some beers. First thing in those days is you got to go like this to get in because of the smoke. Second thing, I don't know, maybe I was at the wrong game, but bingo costs you a hell of a lot of money by the time the night's over. I think this law is protecting our seniors' budgets. I think this law is put in place to help those that cannot help themselves, which is why many laws are put in place. And senior citizens, hell, not only senior citizens, everybody, every single person around needs to be protected from the horrors of bingo. Why do you think my Catholic school, your Catholic school, why do you think our Catholic school had bingo? Why do you think? You raised money. Bingo sneak up on you. Buck a card, all of a sudden you got three cards rocking and rolling. You multiply that, I don't know, by 15 games. Then you buy a beer or two. 
Then they got specials out there. You're dropping 100 large, and you don't even know what hit you. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you, there's no bigger thrill than looking, seeing, bingo! No bigger thrill. Tell me I'm wrong. And if my head hurts. And if you're going to tell me I'm wrong, guess what? You haven't played bingo. You haven't had to play bingo and then put the chairs and the tables away either that night or the next morning. Telling you. No bigger throw. None. Zero. Jared, you ever play bingo? bingo? Yeah. Um, elementary. Yeah, elementary school. I'm telling you, adult bingo in Minnesota, I see what they're doing. They changed the law, by the way. But I see what they're doing, and I respect it. Bingo costs you a whole month's worth. You play it every night? Are you kidding me? You get all hepped up. You're smoking a little weed. You're having some gummies. You're at the home. You know what? Somebody sneaks you in a bag of something nice. Maybe you're cooking up some crack. I don't know. Next thing you know, you're spending a couple hundred bucks on bingo every night. That adds up. It's $1,400 a week. Got no time for that. All right, this doesn't make sense to me. In Louisiana, I'm going to read this to you. Bear wrestling is prohibited. Big George, I'm going to tell you a story about Big George in Bloomington. Next time you're looking for an adrenaline adrenaline rush in Louisiana, you got to avoid wrestling a bear because Louisiana state law says that individuals involved in bear wrestling matches defined as a contest or match between two or more persons and one or more persons, excuse me, not two, uh, and a bear for the purpose of fighting or engaging in physical altercations are guilty of bear wrestling. True story. I got a story for everything. I do. There's literally nothing in this world that I don't have a story for. True story. I'm not sure the year, whatever the year was, I don't know, 89 Maybe I was in college, hell, maybe, I, maybe it was between 82 and 85, probably not, probably just after. There was a bar in Bloomington, it was called Oscars, and it was called Jake's, hell, it's been called a million things, and they had a stage. And really good bands would play. There was a band called Kilo, everybody went to, but anyway. So one night, and they also had like Wednesday night dime beers, stuff like that, so one night, I think I was a grad assistant at Indiana myself, some of the baseball and football guys, we're going to go to dime beer night, and they had bear wrestling. So they got this big bear on the stage, and the bear's got a muzzle. I'll never forget this. Now, I don't know exactly. There was a cage, for sure. But all of a sudden, a guy that we all knew, Big George. Big George was a bail bondsman in Bloomington. Big George played football or I, way before us, but he hung around football, I guess I should say. Maybe he played. I don't know. But all these guys got pinned by the bear and tapped out or whatever you do. And all of a sudden, here comes Big George. Big George jumps in that cage, and I'm telling you right now, I still have a visual of Big George underneath the bear, like underneath the claws of the bear standing up. The claws are kind of over. They declaw the bear. And he's got a hold on the bear, and he's trying to bring the damn bear down. And we're going nuts, right? Because finally somebody's going to beat the bear. Big George didn't beat the bear. The bear kind of swatted him away, knocked him on his ass, jumped on him. George rolled away and got the hell out of there. But I will say this. Of course, you know, when you've had a few dime beers and you're sitting there with your boys 
and you're watching bear wrestling, you got to do some commentary on it. And we felt like Big George did enough to get at least a tie in bear wrestling. I think it's a shame that they don't let bear wrestling. I'll tell you why. Again, bear wrestling gave me what? Gave me a story. Bear wrestling has, and I saw Big George, I see Big George when I go to Bloomington. I don't see him in a professional manner. He's, uh, he's never really had to get me out of the can. But I will tell you this. I will tell you, whenever I see Big George, you know what I think? I think, damn. All right. Uh, Big George, he beat the bear. Because it goes from he wrestled the bear to he tied the bear to he beat the bear. And don't at me, people, because I will tell you right now, Big George beat the bear. I'll give you a couple other ones. Uh, and this one makes sense. Anybody that's ever skied, no drunk skiing in Wyoming. State law holds that no person shall move uphill on any passenger tramway or use any ski slope or trail while such person's ability to do so is impaired by the consumption of alcohol or by the use of any illicit controlled substance or any other drug. Again, I have a story. We went out to the 1990 Final Four. We got in a van, me and my boys. We drive. Literally from Indianapolis to Denver is a straight shot. You get on I-70 and you got off on whatever road the Holiday Inn we were staying at is. So we go to the game Saturday. Sunday's off. What do we do? We get in the car. We drive to Aspen or Vail. I think it was Vail. We get to Vail. We start having drinks. We're going to go skiing. We don't have any money. Hell, I'm a volunteer assistant. True story. I'm literally skiing down the slopes with tube socks on my hands. Now, I had skied as a little kid, you know, the old snow plow, tope, road tope, but we're about half hammered. We don't know. We get on the lift. We're up. I don't know what a black diamond means. My buddy Billy Parks and I, we're going and we're like, screw this. There's moguls. I didn't know what moguls were. We stop about, I don't know, 50 feet down the mountain. We're like, we ain't doing this. We're hammered. So we start going like this back up the mountain. And I, well, I'll never forget this. A very nice lady is on the tram and she's like, that's okay, boys. Take your time. Black diamonds aren't for everyone. I'll never forget. As we we're like, what the hell? So we get up, and now again, we're half in the bag. My, my, the lady tells us, hey, look, you know, don't go Black Diamond. Go the blue or whatever the hell it is for beginners. Go to Bunny Slope. Go to Beginner Slope. So Billy P. and I, we go to Bunny Slope. There's a little curve to it. It's nice. We end up stopping. We're hanging, and then we hear it. My buddy, BBB, Big Balls Billy. Catcher on the baseball team, all-time home run leader at Indiana University, at least when he graduated. Here he comes, a million miles an hour, and he is screaming, ah! My man slides, because he doesn't make the curve. We're standing there going, Billy, stop, fall down, because there's trees. So Billy hits the deck, goes sliding feet first, cuts it around, his legs hit the tree, spins him around, and Billy's in a heap. I support, because we're all hammered. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know you could die on a snow mountain. What do we know? 
We're from Maryville, Indiana. We're used to the pines, one slope straight down. I support any legislation, anywhere, anytime, any way that says no drunk skiing. I'm telling you, I got a story for everything. No drunk skiing is automatic. All right? In 1931, West Virginia, now again, like Tennessee, West Virginia, I got to tell you, you could tell me two monkeys could have sex with a football, and I would say, yeah, I suppose so. Uh, In 1931, West Virginia passed a law banning lewd and lascivious cohabitation and conduct before marriage. Basically means you can't have the sex and live together before you get married. West Virginia? The law was repealed in 2010. I'm just saying. Uh, In Virginia, I don't know why this is. It's illegal to hunt or kill any wild bird or wild animal, including any nuisance species, on Sunday with one exception. Raccoons. For some reason, you can... You can kill raccoons on Sunday. It's the only thing you can kill. You can't kill much else, but you can go ahead and kill raccoons on Sunday in Virginia. Uh, I don't know why that is. Utah, this seems logical to me. I don't know what you guys think, Ryan and Dylan, but uh, in Utah, it's illegal to cause a catastrophe. Really? A catastrophe is defined as widespread injury or damage caused by weapons of mass destruction, explosion, fire, flood, avalanche, or a building collapse. I'm not going to lie, but that seems reasonable. No? I mean, I I would, I'm glad it's on the books. You know, because like George Costanza, Costanza said, when he got fired for having sex on his desk with the maid. Was that wrong? Was that wrong? I blew up that building. Was that wrong? Some would say uh, this I blew up a dam and caused a flood. <laughs> Was that wrong? Uh, would we, if that law was in Indiana, would doing this show every day... Would I be found guilty of causing a catastrophe or being part of a catastrophe? I think it would. And by the way, I ain't going to lie to you. I look stunning in these shades. Look at this. No, that's an old man. Look at this. Yes, that's a hot sex symbol. Yeah. I don't know, but I do like these laws. Uh, Listen to this. This is just wrong. In South Carolina, law once made uh, a law once made a man guilty of a misdemeanor if he seduced an unmarried woman using deceptive and promise of marriage. Well, the law was repealed, but let's be honest. Uh, You can get married. Or you can think you're getting married to somebody, no? And then call it off. Again, I got a story. I was going to prom, a lovely young lady. We're going to prom. 
I was the basketball star. She was the cheerleader. It was, what's Rockwellian? All right. When I asked her to prom, she hit me with this. Tell me what you would do. We've been dating for a while. I knew her previous boyfriend was a running back uh, at Hobart, a really good looking dude who ended up going out to Hollywood and trying to make it. And I like the guy, Joe Riley, good dude. Uh, but anyway, so when I finally asked her to prom, she said to me, man, I'm glad you finally asked me or else I was going to Holbert's prom with Joe. I go, what? No, we've been dating. So I'm like, okay, I don't say nothing. About, I don't know, three days later, the Monday of prom week, she's in a play. I go backstage. We're going to a party. You know, it's Monday, so it's not going to be a crazy party, but it's a party. And she goes, Dan, it doesn't look like, doesn't sound like you want to go to prom. I go, well, my exact quote, well, now that you mentioned it, I don't. I mean, what the hell? So she goes storming off. I go home. Hell, what do I care? She ends up going to prom with the guy at Holbert. That's not a mystery. That's not a promise of anything. But it could be construed as that. No, my point isn't that this is like a marriage. My point is things happen. My point is opinions change. My point is the facts as we thought them to be aren't what we thought them to be, so decisions have to be made. That's a bad law. Nah, bad law. I'm glad they got rid of it. Dane Fife is calling me. I don't get many calls during the show. When they do, and there's somebody whose name you might recognize, I'll let you know. All right, we come back, a name you will recognize. Hey, guys, make sure you send Tom Crean the, the Zoom link. The great Tom Crean is going to join us. We're going to talk about the career of Jay Wright. Jay Wright's a great dude, man. Tom Crean's a great dude. We're going to talk. They battled like crazy. When Jay was at Villanova, which he was for 21 years, and Tom was at Marquette, which he was, and he took Marquette with Dwayne Wade and them to the NCAA Final Four. They had some epic battles, epic battles. We'll talk about Jay Wright, his career. Does Tom think he's going to the Lakers? Does Tom think he's going anywhere? I don't know. We're going to find out next. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I am thrilled to have Coach Tom Crean on with us for a variety of reasons, one of which is... Back in the day when Coach Crean was at Marquette and Coach Jay Wright was at Villanova, these two had some epic battles as young coaches, man. I mean, one went to the Final Four. Coach uh, Crean took his Marquette Warriors to the Final Four. Obviously, we know Jay Wright's won a couple national championships, 2016, 2018. And Jay Wright has decided to hang him up and no better person to talk about Coach Wright than Coach Crean. Coach, a couple of things. Um... When you first coached against Jay Wright, Marquette, Big East, great battles, what was your thought? 
Well, the first time actually we were selling Conference USA and we played in a Rick Giles event in Madison Square Garden to kick off the 2002-03 season. That's the actual season we went to the Final Four. And I, I was scared to death because he had a big front line. He had Jason Frazier, he had Curtis Sumter, he had a lot of different guys on his team and he had a couple of young guards. And uh, uh, I believe Alan Ray was on that team uh, at that point. And, and uh, Randy Foy were, were freshmen. And we played them in the garden. It was a great game. We won the game. And, like, you knew that you did something because they were tough. Baskets were hard to come by. That The half-court defense was really good. And we found a way to win the game. And then that was, like, the springboard for our season. And uh, you knew right away. I was familiar with him at Hofstra, especially when he had Speedy Claxton and guys like that. So you knew that they were going to be good. And then once we got into the Big East, we had three straight years of going at each other. And uh, it was fantastic. I mean, you you knew you were in a battle. The, the preparation for playing against him was so strong because it wasn't the complexity. It was the simplicity of how good they were at what they did. Like, they ran the drag, pick, and roll as good as anybody when he had Alan Ray, Randy Foy, and Kyle Lowry on his team. And it's like you had to spend – you think it's simple, but it's extremely hard with all the different things that they could do in that pick and roll and transition. So you'd spend all your time trying to get ready for these main things. But meanwhile, he had players that could beat you without a play. And I think that's when he was at his best back then. Do you Did he evolve as a coach in your mind? Oh, maybe, Dan, maybe, um, maybe as much as anybody that I could like Think about it. like I know Mike Krzyzewski talks a lot about what he's learned uh, from the Olympics and how he changed his game. And I thought Mike Krzyzewski always kind of adjusted to the talent that he had. And he always had enormous talent. Well, what 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 Jay did is Jay had really hard nosed players like the first year in the Big East. We play in Villanova on campus. It's a Saturday afternoon. I've got three freshman guards who you'll know, Dominique James, Jarrell McNeil, Wes Matthews. Uh, we have Steve Novak. And we're in there and it is a battle and we're in with three freshman guards and we're winning the game. And we're actually, it's nip and tuck, but we're winning the game in two minutes to go in the game. They miss a free throw and Kyle Lowry who was one of the best guard rebounders that I think played college basketball. He's certainly done that in the NBA. He gets an offensive rebound off the free throw line and Alan Ray hits a three and the rest is history. We can't come back and get it. So he had, he had scheme. He had personnel, he had talent, but he really had toughness. And I think what happened is he signed some guys that weren't as tough. He signed a few of the five-star type of guys, especially on the East Coast, where I think it was Villanova was just a stopgap on their way to the NBA rather than really being invested. And I think two things happened. I think he got even better as a fundamental coach. And I think what he did is he stopped recruiting selfish guys that thought they were pros and he started getting guys who would work to be pros. And I think that's where they where he has that program now because his fundamentals, Dan, they do some things. And and, and anybody watched Jalen Brunson play the other night with the Mavericks, that's like watching him play at Villanova, right? And, and I mean, Jay was posting Brunson. He said so many different guys, but the fundamentals of those guys, they didn't beat themselves with turnovers, and they just got to the free throw line so much. And I think what he did is he evolved into this is how I want to play. And these are the guys I want to do it with. And he stayed true to that no matter who he had on his staff and no matter what the ranking services said. 
It, I, I told my son this year, actually, in coaching, when I was watching Villanova, I said, look, study how Villanova goes about things. Just good, better, best, all that kind of stuff. Holding the ball for a two count. You know, making the right pass away from the defense. I mean, the, that's what you're talking about fundamentally. Um, coach, it, you know, everybody, oh, they have the best culture in college basketball. You describe some of it. Is there more to it than just what you just described there in terms of their culture? Yeah, I think you got guys that were that were less about rankings and less about how quick they were leaving. And they had a respect for the work and they had a respect for their teammates. Like, I don't know his strength coach, but the strength coach he had, I don't care what he was paying him, he was underpaid. Because that guy got those guys stronger and tougher every year. You could see it. They grew together. You, I just think when you look at the way they play, like think of some of the battles they've had in recent Big East. Xavier would be dominant. Right. I mean, Xavier would be play dominant basketball and, and Villanova would play them and they'd stretch the game out and they'd make Xavier chase the ball and they'd make other teams in the league chase the ball. Well, that doesn't happen if you don't have a culture of passing, a culture of good teammates, a culture of people that that will move the ball. Now, the scheme part of it was they're going to pass it on time on target. The scheme part of it was they're going to drive into your hip. And, 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 and try to get fouled. The scheme part of it was they were always going to exchange on the weak side. The scheme part of it was they were going to have impeccable, you know, footwork. And I would imagine that he was, yeah, I've never been to one of his practices, but I would imagine that he was absolutely fanatical and crazed about making sure they don't foul with the way they had verticality, with the way they got fouled, and with the way they move without the ball on the weak side and were ready to shoot. And then the most fundamental of all, you grew up on it with Bob Knight. You coached it everywhere you've been. They're probably the modern-day masters of the shot fake and, and what they've done and, and how they draw you off balance. And, and again, there's, it's, it's a reason that they're one of the leaders in the country every year in getting to the foul line because they do all those different things. That, to me, is culture. When you've got guys that will stay true to that, and then he was able to take that on the road. Like, we had a win at Villanova my last year at Marquette. We went in on a big Monday. It was Sean McDonough, Bill Raftery, Jay Billis, the whole deal. It was in the Wachovia Center. It was sold out. And we went in and we won the game. And he had Scotty Reynolds. He had a really good team. And a kid you'll remember, uh, Maurice Acker, came off the bench and played fantastic for us. And, and we won the game. And that was like one of the greatest feelings of a win that I've ever had as a coach because you could tell going into that game that we had, that we had a belief that we were going to win the game. And that, as you know, as a coach, when you go on the road and you feel like you're going to win, I mean, that, it's like you've already won. Well, I would imagine that Jay had that for a long time now as he was in that Big East because those guys found ways to win in the last minute and two minutes of the game. That, to me, is culture. It's not just how good you look and how proper you are in front of the camera and, you know, what your, what your, what your photographs look like going to the bus. Your, your, your culture is what happens when, when your back's against the wall and you got to rely on each other and not have somebody come out and break stride and play hero ball and find a way to make their teammates better when everything's on the line. That's why I think he's such a great coach. Coach, you, you were, you were involved in this. You, you've been coaching forever. Um, people saying, well, you know, you got Roy Williams leaving, you got Kay leaving, you got Jay leaving. Uh, this NIL thing is causing, you know, coaches that have been successful enough to say, screw it, we're out. Do you buy that? Do you think what's going on, you know, with college basketball is influencing or did it influence Jay Wright to leave? 
Well, I don't know that. I, I really don't. Um, I would think that Jay, again, I'm just, I'm just looking at this. He's done so much for so long. And, and when you think about, I read last night, they've spent 37 straight days, you know, with the Olympic team. And, and there, there is a process when you've had that kind of success. And Jay's not one of those guys that went into hiding when the season was up. He stayed recruiting. He was on the road. I'm sure he had unbelievable amounts of speaking engagements. He wants Villanova to be successful. So I'm sure there's a ton of fundraising that he was doing. I think when you look at those three programs, now did NIL and the fact that it's getting harder and harder to, to keep your culture the way you want it when you have it like that, did that play into it? I would imagine that it might have. But those three programs are programs that can withstand whatever rules or lack of rules are thrown out there and however people are doing recruiting. A lot of people can't do that. I mean, the NIL, everybody says, well, is it sustainable? I don't know if it's sustainable or not, but it's not going anywhere. And, and the money, the, right. the, the escalation of money. I mean, I heard the other day a, a three-year deal for a kid on the defensive side of the ball in football in a power league, three years, $2.4 million, 300000 up front. I mean, just think about that. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable where this is going. Now, again, it, it's good in one sense that people are making money, but what it's done is it's broke. You have to work so much harder now every day to have a, a selflessness in your program with your guys because of so many things that are being thrown at them, knowing at the top of the umbrella is as soon as they're unhappy or somebody in their camp or family or circles unhappy, they can leave and be eligible immediately. I mean, you've got kids now that are going to be playing for four schools. Uh, that, that's going to become a norm right now, three and four schools. It's a norm. So I'm not sure that that drove them out but it's definitely not as easy as it was to build a program. But those guys, I would think, would have the wherewithal and the stability inside of their programs to continue to do it the way that they wanted to as much as anybody could. Hey, let me go back to Jay. I, I don't know Jay. I, I've done games, and he's always been incredible to me. He, he's always been wonderful. You know, if I ask him to come on my indie show, he's just like you. He's great, he, he, and he gives great insight. Um, as a guy, as a man, you, you, I'm assuming you know him better than I, uh, is what you see, what you get. I think so. Yeah, I, I think so. I think one of the, you know, sitting with him on the road and, and talking about different things, talking basketball with him, he, he's, you know, he's very, uh, I, I thought in a good way, he, he was very open with people coming into his program but he was also very guarded and protecting it in the sense of what they did. And I think that's really strong because he knew once they got the fundamentals and once those kids bought into the way they played and they started to have success, he knew that he had something. And I remember we were both out in Portland speaking for Nike uh, at an event. I don't remember if it was a Villa 7 or if it was something for Eric Lautenbach and Martin Newton at the time, but we were both out there and we went running in Portland for two mornings. And, and this is, this is, this is, a, this is a story. I won't name the player, but it was a really good player for him that was going through some mental issues that was really having a hard time and to listen to him and talk through it with him. And we were comparing notes, but to listen to him talk about how he cared about this kid and the empathy and how much it was bothering him that he couldn't get him through it said a lot to me about who he is. And, and, and the bottom line is the kid did get through it. 
And and I don't know all this. I don't know all the particulars on how it happened. But I remember running with him thinking like this guy is absolutely distraught in the middle of May over what he's dealing with with one of his players. That's the level of care that he had for his guys. And that was back in the um, I was still a Marquette. So that would have been that would have been the, the late 2000s that that happened. So I'm sure it's only continued even more so since. So I, I do believe what you see is what you get with him. Absolutely. I got two, two, you know how it goes. Oh, man. Jay Wright, great guy. Okay, who's the next coach? Is Villanova's incredibly high level of success, is this sustainable in modern college basketball? Well, I think we're going to find out. I think it is because I think the infrastructure is so strong in what they have, right, when it comes to uh, they have the resources. Now, they didn't always have that. I mean, he didn't always have the private planes and things like that. And uh, then he got them, right? And I think those, to, to be able to recruit and I think those things, I remember being with Jay when I'm at Indiana and he's still commercial airline in, uh, in the middle of the summer, right? I mean, so that seems like a long time ago, but it wasn't that long ago, right? And so now I think those kind of things, the infrastructure is sustainable. If they stay true and... I don't know Kyle very well. I have respect for him. Certainly, I've seen him work. Uh, I think if they stay true to what he built with the fundamentals, the key is going to be, is the staff going to hold, keep, continue to hold them as accountable as I think Jay has held them? Because I think what he's had, and I think this is a thing where, where Mike Krzyzewski has done a great job because you may be able to go back to it, and I know I can go back to it and say that that my pluses or minuses with winning and and or not being as successful, it started with staffing. I mean, there's no question about it. And and you could see it as an assistant, and I'm sure it was like that for you at Bowling Green. You could look back where your best teams had an absolute chemistry of a staff, and the teams you wish you could have back probably didn't. When you look at Jay, what he's done is he's built that up with all former guys that really understand, you know, what he wants, that have been a part of the program. He's been very, very much about promoting a program, especially after – Pat Chambers left because I thought Pat was an unbelievable assistant coach for him and then went on obviously to Boston U and then on to Penn State but he's done a great job it's almost like a Mike Krzyzewski model where he's kept his players moved them up promoted in-house kept everybody on staff understanding exactly what he wanted it to be now if the guys that if John Shire and if Kyle Neptune can do that they're going to continue to really have success but I think that's as important as anything that they do, uh, even with recruiting. Will they absolutely stay true? Because I think Jay learned when he started to try to replace the Kyle Lowry's and Alan Ray's and Randy Foy's with the biggest five-star name out there on the East Coast, it didn't work out that way. And I think what he did is he got back to his guys and eventually he took guys that might not have been five stars and they turned them into those guys because of the way they respected the work in the program. So I do think it's sustainable in a place like Villanova. Is is Jay the kind of guy, again, I, I know him, but I don't really know him. Uh, like, is he the kind of guy that you could see all of a sudden coaching the Lakers or you could see moving to the NBA? Or, or do you think, you know, hey, look, I had a great career, great run. Let's go on to something else. What do you think is next? Well, my 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 my. Uh... My thought on that, my opinion, without knowledge, my opinion on that would be when you have something as good as what he had at Villanova and the way you built it, you don't mess with happiness. And and I'm sure he's had numerous opportunities 
whether it be another college job or whether it would be the NBA. I'm sure of it. And I'm sure it's going to happen even more so now. If there'd ever be a time to, to make a change on a program, it's when you're not directly involved with that program. Because I'm sure there were many a day that if he thought about it, he knew he had something that was highly sustainable. And it's hard to give up something that's highly sustainable. And, and um, he did, right? So now, you know, irregardless of what he does, and, and I think if, a, if an offer came and that energy's right, and especially with, with his ability to know that he can do it, right? I mean, especially when you've been around, I've never been on the Olympic team staff, but I imagine if you've been around the Olympic team staff and you're having success in that, you got a pretty good confidence that what you do would work at the highest of levels. And so I wouldn't be shocked at all if after a year, maybe two years, whatever it is, all of a sudden there's a multi-year high-level deal to coach an outstanding NBA franchise that either needs a kick in the kick in the butt or needs to be rebuilt or needs to be just built on from. I wouldn't be surprised at all if something like that happened. Coach, you, you've coached at the highest level. You've been a head coach, Indiana, Marquette, went to the Final Four. For, for, for guys like you or Jay, is the NBA the holy grail? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I, I, uh, um, I did it at one point, but, but really in our family, with as young as our family was, and Joni looking at it that way, she didn't see it that way. I think she's loosened up on that in the sense of that, that the NBA is something that could be good, especially, I mean, she started to feel that a little bit, you know, with what we were dealing with at the end at Indiana, you know, if we were going to leave. And I had, I had one opportunity, uh, while I was in Indiana and I didn't do anything with it. It took me about 10 minutes because our kids were so young to say that now I'm not interested in talking about that, but I don't think it's the Holy grail, even though I think it's phenomenal to watch it, you know, and, and, and I spent a lot of time watching it. One thing I want to do right now is go see some of the guys that we have actually play in these playoff games that we've had. And, and I love watching that, but I think, I do think you're going to see, I do think if there are, college guys that have a legitimate opportunity to become an NBA coach, they will take it more than ever because this train is only speeding up in college basketball when it comes to the portal and when it comes to the NIL and, and, and everybody having a thinking that they have a voice in how they run your program. And, and I think one of the things that happens with that is if you're not surrounded by uh, people like I'd have never come to Georgia if I thought my athletic director was going to retire after two years. I'd have never done that, right? Like, you just can't go through these things, you know, without the person that hired you. And I think there's going to be so many things that are going to come up that if somebody is good enough to get that opportunity, they're going to jump on it. Not because it's the holy grail necessarily, but because it's 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 such a different way of life. It's got its hard parts. There's no doubt of that about that. But it's got its different parts right now. And, and uh College basketball, you better, I've said this to you when I was on with your show before, you better really, really love coaching to to wanna to wanna put up and withstand some of the stuff that's that's gonna continue to come down the pike. And it's not about players getting paid. There's nothing wrong with that. It's about the way this whole thing is going. And it's 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 really what you're finding, Dan. I think what's gonna be a driver is there's so many people that are coming into staffs that are independent contractors. That it's almost like you can't you can't put your finger in the hole enough to cover up the leaks and of the things that go wrong, and that's why the Jay Wrights and the Mike Shishevskys that have done it with raising their guys they're so smart 
because they know there's a loyalty there that's going to be there, you know, when push comes to shove and it's getting harder and harder to find that. And young coaches are coming up and that we could talk about this for an hour, but young coaches, I mean, you look at your own son's path, your own son's path is very, very rare. Okay. Because he, because he built a loyalty up. All right. With the way things went for him at Michigan and then going to Ohio state, he goes with people that knew him at Ohio state. He goes with people now that with, with Ryan that knew him at Ohio state. They know what they're getting in Andrew Dockage, right? That's a plus for Andrew. It's a plus for the staff. It's an equal plus for Ryan Peden to know he's getting somebody that is invested in him more than nine to five and invested in him more than just what his job requirement is. And that's getting harder. I mean, if I'm sure there were many, many nights that assistants went to sleep uh, at Bowling Green being concerned about how it was going to go for you. And I'm pretty certain you did the same working for Bob Knight just like I did for Tom Izzo and Ralph Willard. And that's getting harder and harder and harder to grow and nurture because guys are coming up in this business with a much different view of what this business is all about. And I think the way the rules are laid out, it's not going to stop. You know, it's fascinating what you're saying because, you know, I, I, the, easiest, the easiest thing to do, because the NFL is so big, is to criticize Urban Meyer. It's an easy thing to do, and Urban's a very good friend of mine, and we've talked a bunch since his dismissal. But what you're talking about, assistant coaches, independent contractors, really, really stuck with me. That's the greatest term I think that I have heard to describe what's going on on staff is independent contractors because when you look at Kay or you look at um, Roy Williams and you look at Jay, they all did not have independent contractors. You mentioned that they had their guys and man, oh man, that independent contractor, when you said it, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. Uh, Urban had independent contractors and they came back and screwed him in the end. And that's happening. That's what you're saying. More and more, that's what's happening. The cohesion is not there, period. No, and, 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 and again, I only know Urban through a couple of instances, you know, enough to say hello and have great respect for him with how he did things. And then obviously watching him against Ohio State with Michigan and knowing that rivalry, but when he took that job and knowing what I know about football, which is not a lot, but it's a little bit, you know, when you're in the sense of the infrastructure of how these teams get run, I was always worried for him, you know, in the sense of front office and with some of the guys that he hired, because he didn't raise those guys up in coaching or, or, or they were, they were, they were people that, that had made their way. Um, and there, there's a term that I learned a long time ago and it's a tough one. And, and, uh, it's the Weebies, all right? The Weebies, the Weebies of a program, the Weebies of an athletic department. We be here before you come, we be here after you leave, right? And it is, there are, there are people, when you, sit, when you put those with the independent contractors, when you put those in with the independent contractors, that, that is hard because, because people that are ingrained in what they do and you walk in, okay, you walk into them, all right, now there's going to be a resistance to make any changes because no one's ever told them that they had to change. They've kept surviving. They've kept being where they're at. All right, they've, they've kept getting jobs. And that's where this is getting harder. And, and the money, the money is some of it. I don't think there's any question the money is some of it. But the attention, the accolades, the look at me, the, the other big thing is that people don't want to be attached to anything but a good result. So when the result is negative, they're looking for every possible way to run for that, 
from that, whether it's on your staff, whether it's in the front office, whatever it is, they don't want to go through the fights and the fires with you. Right. I mean, and that's, that's not how any of us were raised in this. And unfortunately there's too many younger people coming into this or too many survivors or too many weebies that, Oh no, this has been good. That this is, this works for me. So we'll just wait till the next person comes in and then we'll be able to trick them for a while too. And, and you better have some strong leadership and a strong circle around you to overcome that. And you better have people that really understand what a results oriented business has to look like before it ever gets to the results. And there's gotta be accountability and there's gotta be togetherness and there's gotta be a stick to and not run for cover and start talking out of, out of school as soon as something starts to go wrong. I tell people all the time when they get, when they get a head coaching job and, and the staff that I've had, and I just said this to DJ Stevens the other day who got the Western Michigan job who was with me for four years at Marquette. Hire people that bring you energy that hire people that you're going to look forward to being with in a three-game losing streak because, because that's where you really find out a lot of times, you know, who you can be with. And whether it's Urban Meyer, whether it's my brother-in-laws, whether it's you, whether it's me, we have to work every day to make sure we're finding those type of people we want to be surrounded with. Well, that's great stuff, man. Coach, I, that's fantastic. That's so good. I mean, I, I'm sitting here taking notes. I appreciate you coming on, man. You, you coming on, talking about Jay and talking about this, made the entire week. Thanks, Coach. Thanks for everything, my friend. Well, well, I appreciate it. And I just I want to say again that it, with, with what Andrew, uh, that path that he's taken, okay, so many young coaches, you know, and again, he was raised in a coaching household. And I'm looking for the same thing now with my son, Riley, who's going to graduate from Georgia here in a couple weeks, is everybody wants it immediately. How prepared is Andrew Dockage right now after the years at Michigan, Ohio State, being on that staff at Ohio State, having to be in a bus league and, and, and work his tail off and have to do so many different jobs, being at Elon, now going to Illinois State in that valley, how prepared is he at a young age based on so many people that are getting into it? And, and again, he had the perspective because he grew up with you, but he had the patience and the, and, the, and the understanding that he had to make everybody on his staff and everybody on his team better for him to stand out. And I think if more coaches could learn that way, they're going to be a lot better coaches coming up the lot. Well, I agree. I, I appreciate the kind words. and That's exactly what I talked to him. Because, you know, you know this. It's not easy. Everybody wants to go be the head coach at Duke. Ten minutes. Everybody wants to be the star writer for the Indy Star. Everybody wants to be the damn, you know, and uh, I appreciate you saying that, Coach. Thank you so much. And good luck to you. Good luck to You're Riley welcome, and everybody in the family. Thanks. You guys Thanks, too. Coach. Thank you. Hey. Bye-bye. Uh, tell you, I knew it would be great stuff. The perfect guy to have on because he just does such a great job, Coach Crean does. And he, and he and Jay Wright had epic battles, man, as young coaches coming up and fighting through. And I wish nothing but the best for Coach Crean. I, I hope personally he ends up in television. I hope he ends up at ESPN or CBS or wherever he wants. And, you know, or coaching again if that's what he wants. But I, I just, uh, the dude just brings it smart. We wish Jay uh, Wright the best. We'll try to get Coach on here in the next couple of weeks. I got to thank Ryan. Thank you guys. Thanks, Dylan, Davey, everybody. We had another great week. Uh, we are not on Fridays. Looking forward to having a great weekend. I'm headed to Wrigley Field with my wife. Uh, hopefully my son, my daughter, and a bunch of folks. So have a great afternoon. Have a fantastic, fantastic weekend. Dockage out!